Um, let's go around. Thank you guys for coming, first of all. Thank you for being here. What's that little baby's name? This is Willow Rose. Willow Rose. Let's go around and introduce ourselves real quick. Okay. So I'm Julia, and this is Willow Rose. How old is Willow Rose? She is two and a half months. She was a preemie, so she's just now the size of a newborn. Oh. So she's so nobody else I has to. I get a lot more time in newborn clothes than most moms do. <laughs> <laughs> do you? Yes. I bet. Well, nobody else has to say it. their age. Just Willow Rose. <laughs> just Willow Rose. All right. I'm Nick. This is the first time I've ever been to a South Sound. Cool. Awesome. And I'm Mark. Michael. My first time here too. Yeah. Cool. I'm Steve. Awesome. I'm here all the time. <laughs> Well, I'm Austin, and we're talking about the subtle body tonight. So, um, let's actually let's start tonight with questions. So, what questions do you have? What do you know about them? What is like foggy? What do you want to clear up about it? Or do you know anything about the subtle body? Um, I guess maybe to preface the questioning is just that I think it's really interesting that you know yoga is technically a psychology of the mind, right? It's a way of approaching the mind and in the in the classical definition of it. What's beautiful about that is Hatha Yoga was derived because they realized the only way to really clear the mind is if we use the body as well because they are connected. Okay. Um, now the subtle body is an interesting thing because it you know ev almost every yoga class we take ends with Shavasana, right? Which is a beautiful thing because you don't go to like a gym and end your like blasting my pecs and I'm going to lay down in Shavasana, <laughs> you know what I mean? And if you've ever heard, Iyengar says that Shavasana is the hardest. So Iyengar is like a great teacher of the 20th century. He says, Shavasana is the hardest pose of all poses. So I would like to start, and, and it is a pose about the subtle body. And by the way, just definition of terms, subtle body, what I'm talking about specifically is the spaces in between the mind and the body, the energetic body, and the causal body. Some people will call it, you may hear it different, different terms, astral body, causal body, energetic body, subtle body, these kinds of things, okay? So like, you know when you wake up one morning and you're just like, you spring out of bed and you're just like, I am pumped, I'm ready to go, that energy moving through you, that's coming from the subtle body and it moves in a very specific way and there's names for it and there's declarations for all the ways it moves and the way it interacts with the mental energy, the physical energy, the psychic energy. There's all different layers and levels of it. Um, so the question is, why do you think Iyengar said that Shavasana is the hardest pose? What do you think? Because that one took me a long time to get any kind of traction on. For a long time I was just like, well, I'm missing something here. Hi Alex. Hi. This is Alex everybody. Alex, Hi. everybody. Can we all get name tags? So <laughs> she just got done teaching at the Y. She got to get your name tag. Um, so, all you've missed is just uh, the intro of what we're talking about tonight. Um, and I'm posing the question, why do you think Iyengar declares Shavasana as the hardest pose? So he has this rating scale, like 1 to 100, and like 30 is the next closest on the scale, something like that. It's like 31 or something, and Shavasana is 100 of difficulty. So nothing is even in the same stratosphere as Shavasana. I think it's hard because you have to keep still. 
Like not only your body, but your mind as well. Mm. You just have to lay there, which we're not used to, especially in our society. Yeah. Go, 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 go. Good start. Does anybody else find that difficult about Shavasana? Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. I mean, I can, I can relax from my butt chest down. And my shoulders are always tight. Ah. And so I think about that. But also my mind is, a lot of times, I mean, not every time, but my mind is really going through uh, a, a lot of thoughts. Yes. Uh, last week I was thinking, and I think, I don't recall if it was where I read it or heard it, but during Svasana I was thinking about the death and rebirth. And that brought me to Einstein and time folded in on itself and how deaths sometimes. <laughs> and, and that's really that's where I was going during Boston. Yeah, knowing. And, and uh, I was like, wow, just you know, maybe maybe not so active in my in my, in my mind when, when that's going on. Well, um, that's a great tie into what I want to say uh, next, but before we move on, does anybody else have anything to add? Well, it seems to me that when you're doing other postures, your body is sort of dominant, so you don't think as much, especially mm-hmm. after you have learned the posture and you get the muscle memory. But when you're in Shavasana, there isn't, there isn't that much muscle memory. It isn't that hard physically. Yeah. So then that connection with the brain becomes more... Important. Right. Willow agrees. <laughs> um, I think one thing that's hard about it is you're always in motion. Like, we're in motion, right? So we can identify with being in motion from breath to breath. Oh, but motion. I thought you said we're emotion. <laughs> Which is an interesting argument, angle as well. The argument could be made possibly at times, um, uh, for sure. Uh, but I think. For me, it's just the physical aspect of being still. It can be also very difficult because what is truly relaxed? He said that from like the shoulders down. Yeah. He can be relaxed, but his shoulders are still always tense. So it's like yeah. we carry, and you said your mind's always racing, so it's like we carry that mental tension in our physical posture. And so, how do you find both peace of body and mind in the same lame posture? So, I think that's maybe why. How do you find peace of mind? Yeah, body and mind. Uh, yeah, well, there's, there's definitely a, uh, a concept known as like your relaxation threshold, right? So it is a muscle you have to develop, but you can't develop it by forcing it. You can't go, I'm gonna relax, do a bunch of curls, right? I mean, yeah, we can go run a 24 mile race or 26.2, whatever marathon is, and you're gonna sleep great that night, right? But really to develop um, the parasympathetic nervous system the same way our sympathetic nervous system works, it's a completely different approach. And it isn't supported a lot of times in our society, like you were saying. Like, we're just told to go, 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 achieve, assimilate, um, acquire, you know. You have thoughts on this? Well, I have a question. Yeah. And so, is, is the goal of Shavasana somehow different than the goal of any other pose? Such a good question. So, that's, the big question is, what is the goal of yoga, right? I mean, why are we talking about the subtle body in the first place anyway, right? Why does yoga care about the subtle body? If yoga is a psychology of the mind, why do we care about the subtle body? So I'm going to say a couple things. Where the breath goes, the mind goes. And where the mind goes, the breath goes. Okay? So it's really hard to be calm if you are breathing really heavy. If you're nervous and 
you can't stop thinking of it. Say you have a public performance or public speaking or the first time you taught yoga, right? Your breath is up here, right? Your breath is then following your mind. But we can use pranayama or breathing practices to start to control the mind and, and vice versa. We can also use mental visualizations to start to control the breath. Um, so that to say, um, the goal of any pose is to create a, sta- a quality of mind, an, an act- a, a quality of mind, and you could call the quality of mind an energy, right? The quality of mind that we're shooting for in yoga, in a traditional sense, Patanjali describes as Narodaha. So this word is the second, the second sutra in Yoga Sutras. Have anybody ever heard of the Yoga Sutras? Yeah? Okay, so the Yoga Sutras are like the penultimate text on Raja Yoga. So there's different kinds of yoga. What we do a lot in here is, uh, is a modern version of Hatha Yoga. Hatha Yoga points to the way we use the body for yoga. Hatha Yoga is a subset of Raja Yoga. So we purify the body so we can then move into the yoga of the mind, Raja Yoga. Okay? And we can't, you know, it was developed on necessity. I mean, if you think about it, yoga was made by humans for humans, right? And so throughout the different epochs of what humans need and what pressures there are on them socially or geopolitically or economically, whatever that is, yoga adapts. Yoga is not stuck in a dogma. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Well, we see now when Hatha Yoga came around in the 15th, 14th century that people need to work their body more. Whereas Raja Yoga, when Patanjali came out with that in you know, 200 BC, that was a very different time of what people's needs were. Um, so the second sutra is um, Yoga Chitta Vritri Narodaha. So this means um, yoga is the state of, yoga is when the cessation of the mind, when the fluctuations of the mind cessate. Excuse me, there we go. There's lots of different ones. I like those words though. Yoga is the cessation of the fluctuations of the mind. So vritti are the fluctuations. Vritti is the way the mind, and it's like a whirling dervish, like in your mind when your thoughts are ruminating, where your resiliency is low and you can't stop thinking about the way you should have done this or the way somebody said something to you or whatever it is, and you're focused on the attachments of the material world and temporary things and preferences and all the things that in a, in a grand scheme of things don't matter. Like, it, you know, like somebody hurt my feelings today. Does that really matter? Like in the grand scheme of things? You know what I'm saying? Like in the grand scheme of things, that. So these are vrittis. Chitta is the mind. It's, it's a quality of the mind. In Hindu, there's different names for mind. There's buddhi, manas, and chitta. These are the three main ones. Chitta is like the um, kind of the, the quality of the deeps, the whole, the whole concept of the mind, okay? Um, and Narodaha is the state. So a really good metaphor for this is that we're trying to see the light in the world. And the light can be a metaphor for like um, the truth or reality of the situation. But because we're a four-dimensional or arguably a three-dimensional being, and we only have five senses, we can't see the truth. And we've talked about this in Satsang before, like a two-dimensional being can't see a three-dimensional being, right? Like if we have a square, we've got a triangle, 
They're looking at each other, all they see is the edge that's facing each other, right? They can't come out and see the three-dimensional. And if I interrupt their world with my presence, even if it's a divine presence or whatever, they're just going to see the line of my finger that interrupts their perception. Anyway, back to our perception. We can't see the full truth, so we have to see, we get to see a reflection of it. We get to see a, a uh, interpretation of it through the five senses. So there's this great metaphor of a lake, and the moon is reflecting in the lake. And the student asks the teacher, he says, he says, what is the moon? And he points to, you know, the light. He points to the reflection because he's not able to look up because, you know, or it could be the sun or whatever it is, right? Um, for some reason, he has to look at the reflection. That's the only way he can perceive it. Now, the mind is the surface of the water. So if the mind is bothered by all these vrittis, all these problems, and it's rippled, then it's going to distort the perception of the moon. So only when the vrittis cessate can we achieve the state of Narodaha. And that is the goal of yoga. It's a long explanation for that question, sorry. We went deep into the rabbit hole there. So yoga, chitta, vritti, narodaha. When the cessations of the mind, when the fluctuations of the mind, the ways in which the mind can get twisted up on itself, entangled, when those end completely and unequivocally and absolutely, then we can see things as they really are. And when we see things as they really are, this state is known as Narodaha. And this is not only the goal of yoga, um, but it is yoga in the classical sense. Okay? Questions? Well, I have uh, more of a comment than a question. Yeah. But, um, what you said kind of feeds into um, one of the best pieces of advice I got with Subhasana. I don't even remember which teacher said it. But somebody said um, to like think of your thoughts as clouds passing you by and just to like watch them rather than actually taking part of them Mm -hmm. and that kind of um goes perfectly with like what you were saying about just like the stillness of the water like if you're just like completely still water then everything else is just something passing you by it's just something outside of you Mm -hmm. you are just reflecting like that and you're just open Mm -hmm. to whatever whatever is out there right yeah and so and that's a great metaphor. That's like that classic meditation metaphor. You know, the mind is the sky. The thoughts are just the clouds. Don't attach yourself to them. Let them pass by. Problem is, however, we do attach ourselves to other thoughts, don't we? And what happens when we attach ourselves to things? We suffer. So this is the underlying philosophical belief in yoga is that all suffering comes from this ignorance that, yeah, that it's, it's truly from the ignorance because the attachment, we think that this thing will make us happy or we think that this is to be avoided. So it's fear and aversion versus desire and cravings and love, pleasure, whatever it is, right? So we go through the world yum-yucking things, right? We go yum, yuck. And so the brain gets programmed into choosing everything based off of this subtle default setting of like, I like, I don't like, and this is a very thin facade of how we should really operate in the world because um, all the things that can bring us pleasure and suffering 
are temporary, except for one thing. This is the whole belief in yoga. There's only one thing that is permanent. And that one thing will bring us inner well-being. It will bring us tranquility. And all these things are combined. You can't have joy without peace. You can't have peace without, you know, and it goes on and on and on. To all the virtues are just there. But it's not something we find through the five senses. It's something we find inside of us. And so one of the main directives, the operating system of what's inside of us is this subtle body, is the way the energy moves in the body. And before I go on to that, what questions do you have? What comments do you have about anything so far? So is the subtle body, like are you saying that that's the soul or is that the space in between? Very good question. Thank you. Let's get right into it. Okay. Yeah. So there's there's these things called the koshas. Okay. Has anybody ever heard of the koshas? Yeah. I have not. I am a. That's okay. I'm like a. I just cracked out of an egg. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, the sun. Like, like I'm very ignorant, which is great. I don't mind that. Yeah, yeah. Space for knowledge. Yeah, for sure. And if I move too fast, do you have any questions or need me to oh, repeat no, no, something? Keep going. Go ahead. And ask. Really close, um, I'm just here to enjoy. So koshas are. So there's a, there's a thing called the Pancha Kosha model. And this is a way of explaining the five different ways that a human being bees. Okay? So there's um, Anamaya Kosha, there's Pranamaya Kosha, Manamaya Kosha, Vijnanamaya Kosha, and Anandamaya Kosha. The first one is the body. First one's just the physical sheath. So Kosha means sheath or layer or veil. Okay? So that's just the food stuff. What you eat becomes who you are, and what you don't shit also becomes who you are, by the way. <laughs> so yoga is very particular about your diet. Um, we don't need to get into that. But um, then pranamaya kosha is the energy sheath. So you've heard the word prana? Yeah? So maya basically means matter. So sheath of energetic matter. So kosha, prana, Maya, pranamaya kosha, prana is energy, maya is matter, right? And kosha is the sheath, veil, or layer. So ana is food or body, anamaya kosha is the, the food, matter, body, right? Or sheath, Co Um, Question? Oh, I thought maybe it was just the baby feet and then I saw it raise his yeah. hand. Like, oh, I like the milk. Right, let's, I'm gonna stay on anamaya kosha over here for a while. Um, so pranamaya kosha is really the place where we're, when we're talking about the subtle body, that is kind of, so first of all, there's something in yoga called twilight language. Are you familiar with twilight language? Okay, so twilight language um, is something to describe how slippery Sanskrit is. So we'll have a word in Sanskrit that has like five different definitions, and it's not because they're lazy or they're not thoughtful. It's because the exact opposite. It's because they're so incredibly articulate and so incredibly exact with the way they use their language to call things as they are. And it just so happens that in the world, the origin of certain things meets up. So it may manifest differently, but the way it speaks for on a cellular level, on a vibratory level, on a frequency level, resonating, is the same thing, okay? Um, Wait, could you say that again? So prana, prana is a word that has a lot of different meanings. 
And so twilight language, a lot of times, um, can be used to trick the student down a path of knowledge that they wouldn't go down otherwise, but will end up serving them. Okay? So um, twilight language is, is a way of using terms to flip it on its head. So prana can get real confusing, just so you know, okay? So we're going to come back to pranamaya kosha. I just want to explain the rest of the koshas real quick. Because pranamaya kosha is where we're going to stay, because I want to answer the question about the soul. So then we have um, manamaya kosha. This is the, the layer of the mind matter. And the mind in the small ego sense. This is the mind that's the prefrontal cortex. This is the mind that just wakes up and says, I'm hungry, and doesn't think any deeper about things. It's the very, the very superficial mind, the yum-yucker mind, right? Um, and there's also different practices for each of the koshas. So if one is out of balance, obviously anamaya kosha, if my body is out of practice, I'm going to focus on mityahara and asana. Mityahara is your diet. Asana is the postures, right? Pranamaya kosha, if that's out of whack, I'm going to focus on pranayama. Manamaya kosha, if that's out of whack, you might think meditation would be the one for that. But actually, if the mind won't stop spinning and stop thinking, the best antidote for that is chanting. Because when you're chanting, you can't think of anything else. Right? So, that's a good one to have in your hip pocket. If the next time you're like in a rabbit hole of ruminating about something, just shut it up by just putting the clock on and say, I'm going to chant for three minutes or whatever it is, right? Uh, fourth layer is Vijnanamaya Kosha. It's a tough word to say because it's like a V-N-A-N-A -A -A with a J in there somewhere. Okay, so Vijnanamaya Kosha. And this is the higher mind. This is the wisdom body. Um, this is the part of the mind that knows better, that knows what's best for you. You know when you get those moments of insight where you're just like, we were talking about this in class, they had Safa, right? Like a Safic mind is the Vijnanamaya Kosha. So, like, um, it's deeper thinking, it's knowledge, it's wisdom, it's, um, when it's philosophy in action. Um, but it goes, it goes, it's even more than that. Um, so it's, it's really, it's not just wisdom of the mind, it's wisdom and intelligence within the cells of the body. So things that know things, you know what I'm saying? Um, it's tough to explain because it's like, you know, we do things as human beings where we don't know what directed us to do this certain thing, but it totally benefited us, right? And we're like, why did I know to, you know, buckle my seatbelt today, you know, or how did I know to get out of bed at three in the morning and looked out the window and saw somebody um, breaking into a car and I called the cops or whatever, right? It's that place that where we turn into like superhero mode, where we're like, you know, so if a crisis happens, we know we're in Manamaya Kosha, the mind, the lower mind, if we're in flight or fight or freeze, right? But when we actually get proactive in those moments, that's when we're moving from the wisdom sheath, okay? Is, is that also uh, the cultural wisdom? Of, I mean, there's talk yeah, about... it can be. How, I, stuff you know you didn't actually learn, but it, you, just by growing up in the culture, you, it's become part of you. It can be that, yeah. yeah. It depends on the nature of the context. Um, but yeah, you know, sir, you know when you meet somebody and they're like, oh, that's an old soul. Like that person just knows things. That's a person who is very balanced and developed in their vision on the Mayakosha. 
if you find yourself really struggling to tap into your higher self, like you aren't sure whether to stay with your boyfriend or you're not sure whether to take this job promotion or whether to buy a house or continue renting or move from Colorado or whatever it is, big, big, big decisions require you to tap into the vision on Kosha. This is not some place you want to make superficial decisions from with the Kosha. So how you would do this, this is when you tap into meditation. Okay? Um, and, and, a specific, and yoga meditation, by the way, is very specific and very different than like a Buddhist meditation. Most people are familiar with Buddhist meditation. Yoga meditation is extremely different um, and very, uh, very detail-oriented. Okay? So there's, no, there's nothing left to randomness or chance. All the senses are binded inward. The, the mind is focused on a specific action. Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. I definitely um, love talking about yoga meditation. I intend to do a satsang on that this year. The final one is the one that is called Ananda Mayakosha. So Ananda means, do you know what Ananda means? Do you remember? What's Ananda Asana? Happy baby. So it's blissful baby. So it's bliss. So this is your bliss sheath. This is your bliss body. And so this is what you would... This is your most core center aspect of yourself. So we're not moving out with the sheaths. In fact, the physical body is the furthest out. We move in with the sheaths. So the core center of you, the actual natural state of who you are once all the bullshit is removed, is bliss, is joy, is perfect, natural, harmonic well-being. Did you guys want some oranges, by the way? I bought these for I you guys. Have as well. Okay, pass them around. Pass them around. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. I'm going to excuse myself for Christmas. Yeah. Well, does that answer the question about the soul, though? That totally Okay, so that's the difference so between the subtle body and the and, soul. And I love that, too, because like, I, I don't have a comment, but thank you. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, so before we go into the Pranamaya Kosha, what, what questions come up for you guys? Anything? Explain the yoga meditation from the Buddhist just quickly. Yeah, so that would be two forms. There's two different types of Buddhist. Two really, I mean, you can do a lot of different kinds, but one is, um, to, I mean, <laughs> to focus on like nothing. Like the, the goal, the end goal of Buddhist meditation is to come to a state of no thing, you know? So they go about it very deliberately. They don't, they don't harness you know, it's just really to try to like do what you were saying. Clear the mind, let the clouds. It's a it's a meditation of negation. So whatever moves into the space of the mind, you acknowledge, you observe, you don't judge and you don't attach to it and you let it move on. And you continue to do this until, you know, you get to a point where you're um, perceiving the perceiver. Yoga meditation, the whole purpose... So you've heard of the term pratyahara? So pratyahara means turning the senses inward. This is the first stage of meditation. So we harness all five senses and the power of the subconscious engine, the subconscious mind. So with Buddhist meditation, yes, you eventually tap into using the subconscious mind, but it's not a directive. It's not um, intentional. 
from the first few steps. It happens after um, you develop a relationship with it over a long period of time. From the get-go of yoga meditation, you are trying to harness the power of subconscious mind. So, you know, we, they say there's like, you know, who really knows, but they say like 10% of our mind is our conscious mind, right? Because of the processing bandwidth of what the mind can actually do and what we're actually conscious of at any given time. Only 10% of our mind is really conscious. Unconscious or subconscious, whatever you want to call it, is the vast majority of that. Yoga uses the binding of the senses to focus the subconscious mind into a sacred space, very, very deliberately. So the whole goal is that there is nothing random. You do very specific practices with yoga meditation to get very specific results with yoga meditation. Um, and the reason we start in yoga with asana as a meditation so you've heard me talk about the Mendelbrot set in here a ton of times. All the limbs work together, right? Asana, pranayama, yama, niyama. First and foremost, by the way, right? We want to practice with the very first thing is the very first dharma of all your life. The very first purpose of every life is don't hurt other people. Don't cause violence in the world. Which is, you know, ironic because men are raised to not fear violence, right? That's how we get our machismo. I'm not scared of violence. Go ahead, cut it open, right? Um, then it moves down into asana, then it moves down into pranayama, but we're doing all of them at the same time. So if we're doing asana, we're still doing meditation. And in fact, that's why it was designed that way because number one, when meditation is done improperly, it can be really, really hard to untangle that from somebody's mind. Number two, when it's done improperly, we don't have any sign of that. So it's safe for more advanced practitioners. However, when we are putting a student in an asana, we can see directly where their mind is at. We can see directly how they're using the energy of the breath. Everything about the meditation of that asana becomes very apparent to the teacher. So it's very easy for them to teach. It's, it's deliberately exposed through asana. It's very cool, right? If you think about it that way. You didn't miss anything. <laughs> Does that answer the question a little bit? Yeah, I think so. Okay, cool. Um, Did you ever post these videos? I'm going to post, yeah, it's not video, it's just a oh, it's audio, audio talk, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I post them on the, the page. Okay. Um, so pranamaya kosha is, so prana is life force, right? Or chi, or the force, or, you know, ashe, as they say in capoeira. Um, pranamaya kosha has what's called the vayus. We talked about this last week in in around the studio, the values of the five winds. Now, again, it's confusing because one of the, the vital energies, so the values directly defined is the winds. More appropriately, it's the vital energies and the way they circulate in the body, okay? So I want to get into the values. So this is the way the pranamaya kosha works. You've got five of them again, okay? So we have five koshas, and then we're taking the second kosha and we're breaking it down into its subtler parts, which there are five elements of that. The first one is, the first energy, the first vayu of pranamaya kosha is called pranavayu. God, it's confusing, right? So we're using the same word again. Prana, prana, right? The rest of them are the same. Can I stop you just for a second? Please Can do. you, to help me anchor all this? Yes. Point out to where we are here with, in respect to subtle body. 
Yeah. Or is that just way, am I just way off? No, 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 okay. no, totally. So like, so the subtle body is the pranamaya kosha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Subtle body is the pranamaya kosha. It's Got the it. second layer of the koshas. Okay. As, as the way I'm looking at it tonight. Now, again, with that twilight language, we could talk about manamaya kosha, we could talk about vijnanamaya kosha, even anandamaya kosha is the subtle body because it's not physical. Right. And you could argue very easily that you could define it as something very subtle mm -hmm. because it's something that's hard to feel. But here's what's beautiful about the pranamaya kosha is that, do you remember when you were in high school, were you a morning person? Were you a night person? Do you remember? Who remembers high school. Yeah. Well, I I remember like suffering the whole time in high school because I was such a night person, right? That was because of the way my energy body was, because of my subtle body, because my pranamaya kosha was interlocked with my circadian rhythms. So it wasn't that I needed to do asana or eat differently to change my anamaya kosha, or even because you know I saw somebody post recently like, how can I sleep better? And and this is also a person who, like, you know, well, it depends what you're doing. Like, it could be an anamaya kosha thing. It could be, like, I'm drinking a lot of alcohol. That's going to disturb your sleep. Or I'm drinking caffeine at night or whatever it is, right? So it could be the anamaya kosha. But mine, I know for me, the way I was disturbed with sleep when I was in high school was because of my energy body. And now looking back, I knew that. I didn't know at the time. I could have changed the way I ate, could have changed the way I exercised, could have changed what I drank, could have changed the time I went to bed. None of those things would have fixed the problem. The only thing that would have fixed the problem for me then, because of that, was working on these five winds, these five circulatory life forces in the body and how they work together. So the first one is pranavayu. Pranavayu describes the way our senses input things. Okay? So pranavayu is your five senses. So when I look at things and I'm reading Facebook, when I'm smelling things, when I'm tasting things, the input of all my senses is defined by the pranavayu. Okay? Now, then it's moved into the body to be digested. So pranavayu exists at the heart. Its element is air. So it moves everything in from the air, from the outside world in. Then it moves into samanavayu. Lives at the third chakra, Manipura chakra. Um, chakras are all part of the subtle body as well by the way, we're not going to get as much into the chakras tonight because we'll probably have to end with the vayus. Um, but Samana Vayu is the one that is concentric. It's pulling everything in and its element is fire and when it's balanced really well, the things you're inputting are being assimilated properly. Whatever that could be. When it's out of balanced, it could be having problems either assimilating things or eliminating things. Which makes me brings me to the next value, apana. Apana is the downward moving current of energy. And this is the eliminatory energy. So if samana is not digesting things properly, apana can't do its job well. They all are codependent on each other. So the way these three things work, and there's five, so we'll get to the other two in just a moment, okay? So say I need to study for a test. I'm going to pour over the texts. I need pranavayu to bring the information into my body. If samana energy is working properly, I will be able to allocate what's important and file that away in my brain to be able to recall it in my short-term memory for the test. 
and everything else that's of no use, because short-term memory is such a precious, uh, there's such a precious amount of RAM or bandwidth for that, everything else needs to be eliminated through Apana. Now that's just one example of the way values work. Values work on the mental level, so now this is where it's getting diluted again, or convoluted rather, but it's okay if you get confused. The way we deal with energy, I mean there is a mental energy, there's a physical energy, there's a food energy. So the values have to deal with the way even when we eat. So if I'm constipated, Apana is not eliminating. So it could be that Samana is not digesting things properly, right? Or what if I'm eliminating too much and I have diarrhea? Then Samana is, maybe the fire is burning too hard and Apana, which by the way is the earth element, Muladhara chakra, the lowest chakra, um, is eliminating everything and then all of a sudden my vital energy is becoming very low and very weak. So remember the purpose of all the values is so that our vital energy is circulating in a way that supports us in the world so that we can go out and be efficient human beings, right? So say we input through prana, we digest properly through samana, we eliminate what we don't need through apana, what do we then do with the good stuff that we retain? Well, viana vayu takes care of that. Viana is the circulatory energy. So this is the one that really allows us to do things and be manifestors in the world. So. Um, Viana is like, have you ever met somebody who, um, like, if you were maybe in a state, like when you were a kid, let's put it this way, when you were a kid and you were real upset, you know, like you're crying or whatever, maybe you fell off your bike and skinned your knee, and your mother comes over and your mother tells you it's okay, and you believe her, and the way she applies her nervous system to your nervous system, it makes you feel better. And she can put energy into you that calms you down, that takes your nervous system down a notch, right? That's the, uh, that's the Vyana value. The way we can manipulate other people for better or worse. The way we can manifest things in the world for better or for worse. The way that I can dictate this information to you for better or for worse. This is all Vyana value. Okay, so this is what we give back to the world. After we've taken in the prana, through prana value, we've taken in what the world has to offer. We've chosen what we want to like focus on. I'm going to listen to this podcast, or I'm going to watch this show on Netflix, or I'm going to study this class, or I'm going to take teacher training at Cambio, or whatever it is. Then we digest the information, we eliminate what's not necessary, and we go back forth into the world through the Viana value. So sometimes it's like instantaneous, right? It's an instantaneous feedback loop. Other times, like teacher training takes 10 weeks and then you teach three. So that was like 13 weeks before you were even teaching again. But Viana value was showing up in little different ways along the way, right? Because you're all of a sudden telling your friends about it, you're practice teaching on them, you're meeting with other people, you're learning new things and you're getting excited about things. So you're showing up in a different way because of what you're putting out to the world. And so this explains the fifth and final one, which is Udana Vayu. U-D-A-N-A. Udana Vayu is the upward flowing current. Okay? So Udana Vayu is basically how we rebound from what we give. So you've heard the old term, you get what you give. So you get back Udana Vayu from the world. So we, without Udana Vayu, we wouldn't be able to even have pranavayu working. So udana vayu sits us up. It sits us in the posture, right? 
Like it's really hard to learn. Like if you know, if you guys are just like you know this, like curled into a ball. Like I mean, even in a very literal way, like Udanavayu is the force that lifts me up to be like at attention. And you know when you're interested in something, if you're like very intrigued, you're not like this, right? Udanavayu brings you into that like you know, like, what is this? I'm really curious, like, or that thing that wakes you up in the night, or, you know what I mean? So, Vyana Vayu, you go out to the world with your energy. Whatever energy you put out there. If you're putting kindness and compassion, then Udana Vayu is gonna support you to posture yourself to receive that back in through prana. If you're out there proving your machismo by showing how unafraid you are of violence, as men are taught to in our culture, right? If that's the Viana value I'm putting out there, like how tough I am, then the world's gonna kick your ass back and show you how tough you're not, right? And humble your ass. So, exactly. Live by the sword, die by the sword. So, so those are the values. Questions? And those are all working within Pranamaya Kosha. So with the last one, um, that include like um, reactions to things that you for, so it's it's rebound it's what you rebound so is it like so say you say something mean to someone or you say something nice to somebody yeah. like there is there re, would their reaction be the first it one depends. or receiving what comes in that's a really good question like, oh, it could yeah. be Viana it could be because the whole chain is toxic because of what you're putting in sensory so let me go back to this statement from Ayurveda. Ayurveda is the sister science to yoga, and yoga is about self-realization, psychology of the mind. Ayurveda is about self-healing, okay? And it says that all disease that comes upon the human being starts in the mind. So if we're inputting things that are of a pure, light, clear, purposeful, intentional, and high vibrational nature, then if we do that, then that might, that's probably gonna come from an intention of defense or um, maybe even appropriateness. And that would be probably, um, I would say Viana because we've digested the energy, we've circulated it, and it's coming back in a way where we're being intentional about the way it moves. If it's just a reaction, we're just like throwing up like something right back to somebody. Um, I mean like when we receive reactions. When we receive reactions. Because you oh. said it was like the rebound of what, like what you put out, what you get back. Right. So like if someone else, like if someone Oh else yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I misunderstood. Yes. So yeah, so you would, it's, it is Udana in that sense of the way it comes up in you. But the way we receive it through the prana, I'm not sure I know how to answer it. I don't know. Okay. I'm struggling with that metaphor. The fourth, what's the fourth layer? The fourth is Vian. Oh, so wouldn't that be the Vian? No, that would be the Vian of the other person. Right. It would be your your prana because you would be eating it and digesting it, and then you would choose how to. Yes, because Udana comes from inside. Udana okay. is the vital current from you within. So it's literally like, you know, when like. You get back so, yeah, it's, it's basically from what you get. So if you're out. Um, doing selfless acts of service for the community. You know, I mean, have you ever met somebody who's just a really good person? 
they're usually just a really good attitude, right? They have a good mood. They're like, things go their way. It's because that udana is showing up in a really pure and clear way for them. The way they wake up in the morning, the way they come back into showing up in the world is being served by the way they're serving. And so if I'm spending all night expelling and spending my viana at a casino and spending money on cigars and alcohol and strip clubs or whatever, the way I wake up the next morning, the way Udana shows up in me is going to be very, you know, I look at, since Udana is the upward current, I look at it as, remember at the old carnivals, they had the hammer and you would hit the thing and it would rise up. So the Viana is you hitting, did you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ding. So Viana is you hitting the thing and Udana is the thing rising. Okay. So if your purpose is clear, it, pure, light, it will have power and that Udana will shoot right up. But like, you know, you're going to wake up with a huge hangover and your Udana is going to be kind of low and you're not going to be able to have the prana to input new information. You're going to be kind of just soggy and tamasic and dull and torpid and you know, it's yeah. going to be a rough day for you the next day <laughs> if you spent all night in Cripple Creek going hard on the slot machines. Does that, do the gunas fit in here? And I don't want to, I mean, if you don't want to explain the gunas. Yeah, no, the gunas, so the gunas are the qualities of the mind. So each of the koshas do have their energetic qualities, which you could call subtle body of each of the koshas. So Manamaya kosha, the, the base level, the ego kosha, is qualified by Larry Moe Curley or the gunas. That's a good way to remember it. Like the goons, you know, the three stooges. So the gunas are tamas, rajas, and sapa. Tamas is like the torpid extreme laziness. Yeah, totally, right? Just You know those people, right? Who are like, eh. And it manifests physically, if you've ever heard of the doshas, right, as what? Kappa. Yeah, totally. So the kappa people who are like, you're like, come on, Larry, let's go out tonight. And you're like, Dude, you didn't give me any notice. I need like seven weeks notice to get off the couch. You know that kind of person? So that's that's the state of mind that is Thomas, that when it's physically manifested, it turns into kappa, right? And that's Ayurveda deals with the doshas, how to, how to balance the physical manifestations of these things. Rajas is the other extreme. Rajas is like... Hey, Larry, let's go to the show tonight. Not only are we going to the show, but we're going to go to here and here. And we're going to do all the things. And oh my God, I'm going to drive upside down in the car with my feet on the steering wheel. So it's frenetic energy. It's, you know, the exact opposite. And sattvic energy is the energy that's right in the middle. So, by the way, what is Raja's, that, that mental quality, what does that manifest into physically? Pitta. The dosha, pitta. Yeah. So, um... And doshas just mean the humors, which I think is a great definition, the humors. So um, then you've got sattva, which manifests as vata, which is the master dosha, which controls the other doshas, which a lot of times we, Ayurveda looks at vata and they're like, oh, I'm so vatted out, like it's a bad thing. But without vata, there would be nothing. And sattva is the purest state. It is the clearest state. It's the lightest state. It is the state we want our mind to be in. It is the state, here you go, Full circle, ready for this? Buckle up. When we get to Shavasana, we want to be in a mind state of sattva. That is why it's so bloody difficult. Because our mind is 
generally torpid. It is generally tamasic, lazy, or it's generally frenetic and haywire and rajasic. So if a yoga practice has been energetically balanced for you appropriately, by the time you come to Shavasana, you are not checked out and in a, in a dull way. You're not checked, you know, you're aware of your senses, but you're also not in a compulsory relationship with your senses. You're in a very um, crystalline, like, you know, pure, light, high vibrational. I mean, you guys know when you're in a sophic state of mind, right? Does it feel peaceful? It's so peaceful, yeah. But you're not asleep. You're not sleepy peacefully. No, 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 no. It's tranquil and it's joyful. Um, it's like a confident piece, I guess, would be what I would explain it. Like you just yeah, you, forward in the in understanding that all things are balanced. So remember, I was talking about the higher mind, Vijnanamaya Kosha. So there's Manamaya Kosha, the lower mind. How we get to that that state of higher wisdom, higher knowing, is through Sattva. So the goal isn't to just get to Sattva. By the way, the goal is to actually transcend Sattva. Because when we transcend it, we move into Vijnanamaya Kosha. We move into the place where we already know everything. And not in an arrogant sense, but in a, a deeply inherited sense. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Speaking of sense? Okay. Yeah, I think Good question. my experience is being really, really tired, but still going to yoga. Yeah. And feeling rejuvenated even though I've done some <coughs> physical activity yes which is on the face of it seemed would make me even more tired I actually come out of a class feeling that is a good that is a good sign that the practice balance the gunas for you um, and that energetically you know um, yeah the the system of the values are moving in a sophic sense. And I mean, this is the thing, is if like, I'll tell you, if you're putting input into the body through the five senses, that is just about indulgence, just about, you know, um, I mean, look at the quality of the things you're putting in your system. Are they rajasic? Are they tamasic? Are they sophic? Because that's gonna feed the whole chain of how you are able to get back. Because if you're just putting in rajasic stuff, you're gonna have a whole lot of stuff to eliminate. And then your Viana Vayu is gonna be exhausted. You're, gonna, you're not gonna have anything to give back. Same thing with tamasic. If you're just putting in tamasic energy, then you're gonna get constipated. You're not even gonna be able to eliminate because that stuff's gonna be so thick and dense and heavy when it gets in your system, whether it's mental stuff, whether it's food stuff, whether it's breath stuff. So, um, so it can't be understated how important um, it is that we breathe when we do yoga. So one of the unique qualities of yoga, besides having shavasana, because like I said, you don't do that at the gym. The other thing you don't do at the gym is you don't generally, unless you're really focused on moving in an eloquent way with the breath, you're not toning the neural system. So this is something that yoga is specifically designed to do. Yoga asana is to tone the neural system. So what do I mean by toning the neural system? Is creating stress 
on the body in a way where the feedback loop becomes accurate. Does that make sense? <laughs> so we're putting, when we go into these asanas, we're putting stress on the body and the mind. And we're also stressing the energetic body because we're requiring, you know, if you're practicing well, your breath is elongated, it's deep, it's penetrating, and it's voluminous, you know. So all these stresses are designed with a very specific effect. And that, does that get clear? Somebody else help me out here. Well, I, I kind of, I mean, I almost, I can see where it's hard to describe in words, but I feel like I felt it. The feedback, is it the feedback between the energetic self and the It's all of it. Body? It's the feedback between the, the vrittis, the narodaha, the mm -hmm. chitta, all the stuff that you can input. Mm -hmm. So th they call the mind the sixth sense in yoga. So we've got like, you know, hands, tactile, kinesthetic, you know, taste, olfactory, auditory, visual, right? Then we're also inputting through the mind, right? And that's what, when you said we're in motion, that's why I thought, and I really liked that you said we're emotion, because I'll tell you what, you know what's way more powerful than a delicious strawberry? Somebody you love telling you to go take a hike. Oh, right. Right? Lord, yeah. Like, I mean, emotions There's are actual physical power that happens to your heart when your heart Right. Physical yes. harm through mental thought. Yep. Because emotions are... A part of us. Well, they are. They're, <laughs> they're more than just thought. They're supercharged thoughts. They're thoughts that have become things. You know, without maybe being... Physical. Well, externally. They can right. be internal. Like you said, your heart getting broken. Right. Um, I like Gregor Malle, one of my teachers, talks about accurate feedback loop concerning emotion. Here's the difference. We know that it's not accurate when, say Maria says something to trigger me, my emotional field, my emotional body, better, better good. If that is responded to in connection with something that has already happened to me, that is emotion, okay? But if you say something to me and I feel it without any attachment to anything that's ever happened before, that's called feeling. So that's the difference between emotion and feeling. Emotion is connecting sensory input to something that has already happened before, to our conditioning, our prior priming or default operating system of who we think we need to be to be loved and what we have to do to be that person, right? Well, yoga asks us to get to a place where the feedback loop is removed from the modus operandi of that, you know, the operating system, where we can be present, mindful, and in the moment. So if you say, you know, you have a lot of gray hair, well, that's a pretty ambiguous statement. That can totally be like one of those things where it's like, well, I'm 37, I shouldn't have a lot of gray hair. Why is she noticing that? This is bullshit. She's just, you know, <laughs> taking chips at me, you know? Or it could be like, oh, yeah, I am pretty wise because gray hair means I'm wise, right? Like, these are all prior things where it's like, with the input, there's no context except for her voice, right? And maybe the way she looks at me and all the thousands of body language she gives me that I can say, oh, you know, here's some, some information about this input. But other than that, like to be honest about that feeling and to just be like, you know, well, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? And it could simply just be, 
completely innocent. You just have a lot of gray hair. And it doesn't, it's not a qualifier of negative or positive it's just response. Right in the of the emotion. It could be. It, keeps, it could just be, be a complete observance with no judgment, right? And that's what you do as you progress through your yoga practice. Because, you know, when I started, the posture, getting the posture right was so important. And over time, it's how you feel in the posture, is, you know, what all the inspectors say. But, you know, I'm really disconnected from trying to achieve something. And one day I don't achieve it, the other day I, I'm not a baseball player who has to get it exactly right. To, to stay on the hit. team. Right. 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 You're off the team, team, Steve. You're down right. dogs out of line. Yeah, I went over 52. Right. So, yeah. so yeah, and that, that take, that's a transition in my mind from beginning to try to be like the perfect. And isn't that liberating? Yeah. So, so that's why Shavasana is so hard, okay? Because there's only one thing in our world that really feeds us and nourishes us in a way where we can show up and whatever the results are, doesn't matter. The important thing is you showed up and you did the work. Very other few things in our society, in our day and age, in our epoch, our socio-political, economic, geopolitical existence right now. What else do you have supporting you to just be like, guess what? You showed up, you did the work. Don't judge it. Shh, shh. No, 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 no. Don't, don't go there. Don't go, but I didn't hit my hands in today. I didn't have my breath. Or hey, the teacher didn't do half pigeon. Doesn't matter if they didn't do half pigeon. You came and you practiced. That's enough. So, that's why the subtle body is so difficult. Because it doesn't, the, the currency isn't in, you know, eye for an eye. Yeah, it's not, it's not in the physical world. The subtle body, you know, we forget about it and then we realize, why the hell am I so tired? But if we're doing the pranayama, if we're doing the pranayama practice, if we're doing yoga appropriately, you know, you don't have to do pranayama practice, just breathe well when you do yoga and it'll bring your energy back. So, back to the question. I hope you have a little bit better idea of why Shavasana is so difficult, but more importantly, because that's not as important as why it's so important. Because it gives us a chance to assimilate the practice, to synthesize it, to put all the pieces of it in place in ways that we can't do ourselves, to let the innate intelligence, the inherited intelligence, do its job, to get out of the way of it, and then what it also does, it also eliminates what we don't need. It gets rid of the things we don't need to. So, it's an hour. How was it? Is there, good? Are there any texts or references or anything you'd recommend? For more information on the subtle yeah. body? Well, what do you want to know specifically about it? Thank you. What, my pleasure. All right. What do you want to know specifically about it? Really? Um, Nice meeting. I don't know how to answer Think about that. Yeah. Think about that for a little while, and yeah. it, I, I bet it will come to you. When you're practicing, you'd be like, oh, this way. Because what I would suggest to all of you is to really reflect on tonight and marinate in how this information serves you in a practical way. Because it all it's all big, highfalutin concepts. It doesn't matter if it stays theoretical, okay? Take one thing from this tonight and apply it somehow, practically, for yourself, okay? Even if it's just on the mat or whatever. Well, I don't like the book that gives, like, 
some sort of like list because I feel like I can sometimes get like jumbled up and just like yeah. there's so much and, like I feel like sometimes I need like a diagram that just like, yeah. explains. Yeah, I want a diagram. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. what it sounds like, you know. That's a good question. Just so I can kind of like reflect over it, but like understanding. It shows up in different books, and it shows up in like documentaries. Which one? Jiva Mukti book talks about it. You know, there's so many different ways to talk about it. That's why it's hard for me to recommend something. It's like, really, what do you want about it? Like, what do you want to do with the information? The Mudra book is great if you're going to apply it to like using hand gestures and be like, okay, I'm going to affect the physical body. You know, I need a pana. I need elimination. Or I need samana. I need to integrate things, assimilate things. Or viana. I need to move things out. You know. I think the integration. So the mudra book might be good yeah. for you. The mirror, yeah. the mirror of yoga. I, it's it's a little dense. That's super. Yeah, I, you have to read it. Several, I've actually read some chapters like two or three times before I figured it out. The mirror of yoga. The mirror of yoga. Yeah, that's a. That's a, that's a good wrestle. That's a good wrestle. Yeah, I'm about, I'm about a year and a half into it, and I haven't read the whole thing yet, so. All right. Well, thank you, guys. Thanks, Austin. Yeah, any other last questions? Did you learn something? Yeah, please. Okay. So it's about the chakra colors. Because remember you told us back in teacher training that originally they were different colors, and I found a diagram of it today. Yes. Yes, it is. Well, um, because the power of your mind is the simple answer. But like, I mean, if if you want to get into some real like traditional yoga meditations, you definitely don't want to use the rainbow spectrum. You want to use the traditional colors. Because like I was saying before, with yoga meditation, very specific purpose, very specific directive, very specific technique, very specific result. So if you want those results, then you gotta do it that way. When you said that, it made me nervous because my meditation practice is kind of like, I don't, know, I don't really know what I'm doing. I feel like it does something, and I feel like it has done things for me, but when you said it's very, very specific, you know, I don't know if I'm that specific necessarily. Right. Because you said meditation can do harm if you're not doing it correctly. Well, it can do harm. It's also very. Well, here, here's here's the thing: is when you're done meditating, are you sattvic? Okay. That's a good that's a good indication. Are you kinder, more compassionate, more virtuous person after you've meditated? Okay, then you're on the right track. I mean, it's as simple as that. So I do know people who can, they meditate and they get angry afterwards, so that means they're doing something. That's totally, that means that the way they're meditating is, it's exasperating the aspects of their minds that meditation is actually supposed to tranquilize.